Welcome back, Tokers, to a second session of Killer Octobers. We're back for another one, guys. How y'all like my new mic? Does it sound good? Because I like it. Uh, It sounds pretty crisp to me because I got these nice headphones that I can hear my sexy voice in. (laughs) Man, these motherfuckers are really nice. It's really nice equipment. I'm all professional now. I got a fucking mixer. Fucking. It's really, it's it's a more professional setup. So I hope you guys enjoy my voice a little more with the clarity and the, uh, the, the tech that should be making it sound even more crispy and, uh, sexy for you ladies. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyways, (laughs) I've had a lot of requests to extend this uh, series past October, but uh, that would ruin the cool name I gave it. So instead, I've decided decided just to uh, work hard and give y'all two of them a week. Uh, I imagine you guys won't be mad at that. So, yeah, just get to enjoy two extra sick, twisted serial killers A week instead of one. That makes your week so much better, duh. (laughs) Um, Today we dive into the sick, twisted world of Robert Berdella, a.k.a. the Kansas City Butcher. Um, There's two things I know about the Midwest. One, it's pretty fucking boring. That's that's pretty definitive uh, for most people that will tell you from the Midwest. the second thing I know is a shit ton of serial killers are from or did most of their crimes there. Like, I don't know what it is. You know, maybe maybe the two things correlate, but uh, who knows? I don't know. Uh, maybe they get so bored that they think uh, killing is entertaining, I guess. I don't Yeah, Who knows? Uh, but that's just my guess. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a weird... Weird thing, man, like, a lot of them, like, a a huge number, like, look it up. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but I know it's more than 50%. <laughs> um, another thing I know is this son of a bitch is one of the sickest ones to do it in the Midwest. This motherfucker was brutal. Um... Now, he didn't rack up the numbers that the past killers I've talked about did, but what he did to the six men that he did, that he killed, whew, it's really going to, you're really going to understand why I included him into this Killer October session. This dude is a fucking brutal motherfucker. And <clears throat> unlike unlike a lot of uh other killers that you know you just kind of have to go off of what they're saying or you know uh go off of you know them recanting stuff or not recanting but repeating stuff that they've done um with this guy it's a little different the reason why this this okay first of all this is going to be a long one i'm not going to lie to y'all this is going to be a long one because unlike these other killers this motherfucking twisted son of a bitch kept a 
very detailed journal of everything. This motherfucker wrote down everything. At 108, did this to the motherfucker. Like, it... Dude is a fucking twisted motherfucker. He liked to document everything he did for his later, I guess, jerking off to why he fucking thought about that shit, reading it. Who knows? But, yeah, you guys are going to get a lot of detail because of that exact reason. So, uh, yeah. Whew. Ugh, man. Uh, like many, he is thought to have more victims than the six. But before his death, nothing was ever proven. So for now, his final number sits at six victims. But some experts say it could be up to 21 victims. But like I said, nothing confirmed. So we won't dive into that. We are going to focus on the six. Uh, He also gained more infamy when he confessed that the uh, 1960s classic movie, um, The Collector, <clears throat> a lot of you probably don't know about The Collector. It's a classic, uh, crazy movie. Um, it's based in, I think it's London or somewhere in England. And it's basically uh, this guy basically gets obsessed with his neighbor, stalks her, kidnaps her, holds her captive in his basement. Uh, the woman ends up dying. And this book is what Robert claims he got the inspiration. Well, not the inspiration, but it was the motivation and the motivating factor for a lot of his crimes. Um, Yeah, fuck that guy. You can't blame a fucking movie, bitch. (laughs) I've watched a lot of sick movies, motherfucker. You see me killing niggas. Um, Luckily, unlike, uh, you know, many of the other serial killer subjects I've done, most of them foreign, there, there is way more information of his early life uh, so we can see some of his psychopathy uh, a little better and maybe understand it more. Um, so, you know, let's just let's start there at his childhood, his teen years and his college days and see what molded this, you know, sick, twisted piece of shit fucking ass. <laughs> Oh, man. But before I get started, you know, I got to get some of these delicious greens into my body because, you know, I was always told the greens do, you know, do the body good. So get some greens in me. I can already feel them working. I'm telling you, you guys got to get these greens. They will truly do your body good. Oh. Especially when you got an old man body like mine. You know, I just turned 33. I'm old now, guys. Oh, everything hurts. I wake up, things I didn't use hurt. It's 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 hard. You don't want to get old. <laughs> All right, let's let's jump into this sick motherfucker's life. Ugh, fuck you, Robert. <laughs> um, so hell spawned 
uh, Robert Andrew Berdella Jr. on January 31st, 1949 in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, Midwest. <laughs> Uh, the first of his two, uh, of the two sons born to Robert Berdella Sr. He was a die setter for the Ford Motor Company, and Mary Berdella, his mother, was a homemaker, uh, you know, housewife. Uh, Berdella's father <clears throat> was a Catholic of Italian descent and raised his family in a deep, deep religious background. Like shit was real in their house. They went to fucking mass regularly. They, uh, the sons both attended religious education courses. So, like, these people were engulfed in the whole, you know, religion thing. You know, Catholicism, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, it doesn't say, but, you know, Catholic preacher, you know their history. Could have played into this. Yeah, that was never talked about. But now I think about it, he might have been one of those boys that got, you know, fondled. So that could have played that could have played a part. Somebody needs to look into that. Hmm. Uh, as a child, Berdella was intelligent but a loner, who rarely played outside of his home and seldom had friends. Visit, uh, you know, hang out, spend the night. He did, he wasn't really social in his neighborhood. He, uh, he also had a speech impediment, and he wore really thick, those fucking thick-ass glasses that, you know, make your eyes look weird from, uh, from age five because he was severely nearsighted. So he was just blind as a fucking bat. Um, <clears throat> uh, he was also diagnosed with high blood pressure for, uh, for which he had to take a shit ton of medicines. So, you, you know, with that thick glasses fucking taking a lot of medicine you can already see where this is going uh Berdella was largely <laughs> unathletic whereas his younger brother Daniel seven years his junior was a fucking beast in sports so like he definitely got the bad side of old pops's genes <laughs> like dude couldn't do shit athletically um you know and the fucking shitty part is his dad really fucking loved sports. He valued sports. He valued physical education. And he kind of viewed, you know, old Robbie, old Junior's fucking failure in sports. He kind of saw that as him being a little bitch. And he, he didn't really like or really favor old Junior. So, you know, that one of the things that, kind of hurt old Berdella as he was developing. Uh, and then, you know, his dad also used to, you know, physically and emotionally abuse him. Not like crazy, crazy physical abuse. Um, it was you know, basic, the old school beatings from back in the day. Belt, leather strap, you know, that whole deal. That's what he, he got. So he got whoopings a lot. He got he he was emotionally abused. He his dad didn't like him much. So you know, you kind of see the developing stages of uh, a damaged psyche uh, and a development of uh, you know a bad psychopathy. Uh, Berdella's uh, Berdella performed really well in school. That's uh, one thing that 
you know, he excelled at. He was he was a ner- he, which is you know he better motherfucker can't do shit athletically, bitch. You better do something. <laughs> uh, though his teachers rarely or you know often actually found him very difficult to teach. So you know he rarely had you know high regard you know to his teachers. Like his teachers really didn't like him, <laughs> and it was you know a part you know because of his you know goofiness and kind of his unathleticism but it was also uh him being the recipient of a fuck ton of bullying he was bullied a lot so you know you're seeing the development of you know a damaged boy uh because of this as a child he also seldom socialized in social activities at school with his uh you know so with his classmates so he was viewed by almost everybody as an outcast, pretty much. Uh, when Berdilla reached puberty, he discovered that he was he was gay. He was uh, homosexual. Um, initially, he kept that fact closely guarded. He was in the closet for years, and he didn't become open about his sexuality for you know years and years and years. Uh, and then you know. In his early teens, to kind of mask it, he ended up having a girlfriend for, you know, a small little brief time just to kind of, you know, give people the image of, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just a normal, straight, you know, teenage guy. Don't mind me. And, you know, back in those days, I imagine that was, you know, probably uh, way more prominent because I'm not 100% sure. But I th- I'm pretty sure it was still like a mental defect at that time. Like it was labeled a mental defect at that time. So, I mean, that explains, you know, why he was in the closet. Um, by his mid-teens, he started to, uh, he, you know, kind of display a little bit of self-confidence. You know, he started to develop a little, you know, a little swag to him. But uh, it would often manifests itself via his, you know, attitude towards other people in which he would kind of be, you know, rude and pretty condescending and just kind of talk down to people because he was a smart guy. So he he would kind of just talk really downright rude to motherfuckers. And he especially did it to women. Um, he, uh, He then, you know, started to, you know, not socialize more. And then he learned about cooking and, you know, and art and developed showmanship. So, you know, he kind of developed, you know, something that he started to like. Um, on Christmas Day in 1965, the the whole family drove to Canton to visit some relatives. Uh, that same night, his dad, Mr. Robert Bedellage Sr. had a heart attack at the age of just 39. He was super young. Two days later, Robert returned. Uh, He just left the family uh, in Canton, and he returned back home to Cuyahoga uh, Cuyahoga Falls. And then when the family came back up to, you know, return back home, he just, you know, 
got the shit news. His dad died, actually. He left, and he, he felt really bad that he left his dad to die. And he, he, he thought that his dad was going to live. He didn't think he was just leaving him to die. He thought he was going to make it. But he, he ended up dying. You know, at the, the tender age of 39, he was, he was gone. And uh, you'll see how that'll rear its ugly head again. Um, after his dad died, uh, old Robbie, he, uh, he really started like digging into religion and tried to, you know, seek a little, you know, peace in the religion. And he, you know, he would just only really focus on faith, religion. But after doing it for a while, he started ending up being a little cynical. He, he really didn't believe any of it anymore and just kind of shunned it after that. He, he, uh, he lost his faith, as they say. Um, it was very soon after this that Robert watched the movie The Collection. Uh, yeah, this movie turned out to be not a good choice for him, uh, which, you know, like I said, he said that it formed a lasting impression on him, as he said, quote, um, and it inspired his later crimes. Uh, shortly after the death of his father, his mom remarried. This was really fucking, this pissed him off a lot. This was like, he was like, hold up, ma, you can't just, you, pops just died, you can't just go out and go fuck another dude. So he was mad. He, he he wasn't feeling that shit. So that resentment and the betrayal he felt against his father from his mother just it led to just animosity towards his mother and it just led to him kind of distancing himself even more. Um, and then he, he became increasingly withdrawn and he would just kind of further, you know, just immerse himself into those those solitary uh, solitary activities that he was just by himself, just alone all, all the time. And he he just did you know basic stuff, you know, painting. Uh, he, he liked to collect fucking coins and stamps. Yeah, watch those people that do that shit because those motherfuckers are serial killers. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he would also, he had a thing where he would write to a lot of, you know, foreign pen pals. That was one of his, you know, his uh, things that he liked to do. So, you know, he he, he wasn't a, a social dude. Uh, he would later claim that this hobby of writing to pen pals to uh, to countries like Vietnam, uh, Vietnam and Burma and the fact these pen pals would send him stamps for his collection and photographs of mythical and historical icons, ancient cultures and architecture, it would lead to him developing a really huge interest in primitive art, photographs, and antiques. And you will see in the future that leads to uh, not nothing murder-wise. Murder it just leads to his future career. Um from approximately 1965, he started just collecting the fuck out of artifacts. He, he really just got a really good collection together. And 
<clears throat> this would later inspire him to open his own, you know, business. Not like a storefront, but, you know, he had his own business where he sold his own goods that he rightfully collected. Um, in 1967, Robert... Uh, graduated and uh he graduated from high school and then he headed to uh kansas city arts institute he he was really inspired to do some some something artistic you know the guy was into art collecting things so you know and he was into you know primitive art photographs antiques so you know i'm sure he would definitely gravitate towards that and he was uh, he was considered a, a good student, attentive, you know, talented, and you know they liked him in his first year, but then in his second year, <clears throat> you see the transformation. Uh, he started just becoming a a huge uh, asshole, basically. <laughs> um, he would also become you know friends with uh, you know you know a little clique of students who supplied him with drugs, which he then sold to other students at a profit. As such, he then acquired a reputation, you know, amongst his fellow students as the dude that has some drugs. So, you know, he he kind of he, he kind of developed a little bit of social reputation and people started noticing him a little bit. So, you know, he started to see some some friends, which was rare for his life for a while. Um, but he also started drinking a fuck ton of alcohol, and he started abusing it, unfortunately. Uh, the alcohol and the drugs would then lead him to start engaging in one of the big signs, guys. Always remember animal torture he started engaging in acts of animal torture um and on at least three occasions while student he um he got caught and two of them he was torturing a duck and then one he uh, tortured a chicken in the presence of his you know other students and then in the third one he just was experimenting with sedatives and tranquilizers on a on a dog motherfucker i'll beat your ass fuck with dogs Ooh, don't fuck with dogs, man. <laughs> that's fucked up. That that's what I'm super mad about. <laughs> After what you hear, what this motherfucker did. Ooh, sheesh. Um, so you 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 you're basically seeing the oops, excuse me the evolution of a serial killer happening right before your eyes. Boom, boom, boom. You know, a little trouble passed. Well, you know, some damage, uh, some animosity towards a parent or loved one, torture of animals, abusing of drugs or alcohol or both. You're, you're just seeing, you know, the little, he's checking them off. He's just checking them off quicker and quicker and quicker. So, yeah, he's becoming that thing. Uh, at the age of 19, he had his first run-in with the authorities. He finally gets himself caught the fuck up trying to sell some goddamn meth to an undercover cop. You idiot. <laughs> um, and uh, funny thing is, he didn't learn. Uh, just one month after that arrest, 
Robert would then get arrested again for possession of marijuana and LSD. Although, second arrest wouldn't lead to any kind of conviction. They couldn't. They didn't have enough evidence. They tossed that shit out. Um, so he got he got lucky on the second one. Um, and then in 1969, uh, old Robbie would drop out of college, move into the home in uh, Ohio Park neighborhood due to heavy criticism from school staff saying he was a fucking psycho and he needed to get the fuck out of that school. No, they didn't say that. <laughs> uh, school staff basically just, they didn't like the whole animal killing thing. I get it, you know. Kind of a bad thing to, you know, fucking kill stuff, you sick fuck. <laughs> and he was mad about that shit. That's the funny part. He was like, I don't understand why they're fucking mad. I killed a fucking, I killed a couple of animals. Jesus Christ. It's like, bro, you you killed animals and tortured them in front of other motherfuckers and enjoyed it. They should have fucking locked you up then, you sick bitch. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus. Sick motherfucker. So now that he's, you know, free from college and he's, you know, living on his own, he kind of said, you know, fuck this. I'm going to live my life. And then he said, I'm coming out the goddamn closet. Fuck y'all if you judge me. So he decided he was, he came out, said, I'm openly gay. And I've been gay for several years, man. So fuck y'all. Um, and I'm proud of you for doing that, Robert. But also, I hate you, so suck a dick. Well, I guess that's not an insult. So I hate you, so suck a AIDS dick with a bunch of spikes sticking out of it. How's that sound? All right. <laughs> um, he then began uh, spending much of his time, now that he's living on his own, getting a little crazy. Much of his time was spent with male prostitutes, drug addicts, petty criminals, and he took in a lot of runaways. Uh, these individuals he would typically befriend, then try to help them, you know, help free them from, you know, their drug addictions or their generally just, you know, shitty criminal or, you know, just bad lifestyles. And, you know, he was adamant about that, you know, through the, you know, 1970s. He, he didn't. He didn't try to, like, fuck any of these people. He was just, he was actually just helping people. Um, who knows when it just changed. Um, you know, to several of his neighbors, Robert actually, you know, s stated he gradually kind of felt like a foster parent to a lot of the you know, young you know, vagrants and crazy kids and criminals. And he started, you know, taking a lot of them. And he was like, you know, I kind of feel like a good, you know, good dude. I'm helping these kids get their life together. And the neighbors thought, man, you know what? This guy's a fucking good guy, man. You know, I don't understand why he doesn't try to have barbecues with us. And the neighbors actually thought he was a good dude. Uh, by the early 1980s, many of his older acquaintances and friends had ceased any form of social contact with him. So, you know, they kind of just, you know, they got older and just ditched him. And, you know, Rob, Robbie was kind of just relying on all the younger kids instead because all his older friends left him. So he kind of relied on these young kids that he took in for, you know, friendship. Or, you know, he, 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 once he got the taste of, you know, people 
kind of depending on him and loving him and needing him and wanting to be around him, he he really liked it. He liked the whole friendship and companionship thing, and he he took in a lot of kids or you know not kids but younger men to kind of fulfill that that gap. He would uh, he would also kind of get a little pissed off more and more and more when you know he try to help these people and you know try to steer them away but they just kept doing that shit um you know and i i don't know if he's telling the truth about that shit but if he was it sounds like dude was a pretty decent guy for a few years of his life. Like he he had some times when it was like, man, just why don't you just stay like that, man? Shit, you piece of shit, motherfucker. <laughs> um. Uh. Then you know, now in the eighties, now he started to develop that sexual urge, so. He would often engage in sexual relations with, you know, several of the people that he took in. And it would kind of establish a degree of control over them. And in part, it would, you know, you know, it's it's to to get sex, but it's also, you know, a satisfaction thing. And he would get that by uh, by any any means, you know, he loan them some money he you know allow them to stay rent free uh you know just little things like that feed them just little things but it would help him just be like hey man you just let's go to my room you know i gave you that hundred dollars and it kind of just made those people feel like all right man i guess you did give me a hundred dollars so whatever um uh and like i said his neighbors really didn't see him as like a bad guy because of this. They still saw him as a good guy. They they considered him flamboyant, which is, you know, nothing wrong with that. But he was they also considered him very helpful and civic minded. So he, you know, was a good guy. The one thing they did hate about him is he fucking had a shitty yard, just a shitty property. That's the one gripe many of them spoke about was like, yo, this dude was a nasty, like he'd take in people, but he ain't never get these kids to do nothing in the yard, nothing. And they really didn't like his yard. <laughs> I was like, like four of the people they talked to were like, yeah, he was a messy person. <laughs> his yard was a piece of shit. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, he and, and I, I also forgot like, I didn't put it in my notes, but I saw that, like, in the 70s, this dude was a part of all kinds of shit, like, all kinds of great organizations. He, uh, he had, uh, he was a organizational activities uh, assistant for the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhoods Association. It's like, bro, like, you're doing all these, like, good things. And then he would also, like, become, like, the head of it. Yeah, he became the head in the early 80s. So, I mean, the dude, like, I don't, man, motherfucker. And he he actually was active in this shit up until, like, 
he started doing some evil shit. So I don't know, man. There had to have been a breaking point, but it never said where like there was a breaking point for him. But there has to be a breaking point from that to the murders. Something had to fucking happen because he was a good fucking guy. Good fucking guy, man. Just, ooh, excuse me, just helping kids. Excuse me. I got the burpees. Um, so I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Don't get it. Excuse me. Ooh, a little uh, tired. But don't worry, I'm going to get through this motherfucker because it's about to get really fucking nasty. Um, uh, Then in, you know, in the uh, mid-1980s, right before the shit started happening, he became a cook. Later, working his way all the way up to lead cook in various establishments around Kansas City, all while, uh, all while, I don't know why that just fucked me. All while, that just like all while, <laughs> all while, uh, also growing his side business of selling those rare uh, artifacts and you know art from all over the world. You know, he had some crazy shit from Africa, Asia, South America, the Pacific Islands, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, and he established himself with a lot of national and international contacts. So his business was, was growing. It was growing really good. And he viewed his business as his full-time job. So once he sunk into that, he just kind of put the the chef thing uh to the side uh and then in 1982 that's when he began renting the a booth at the flea market which he would then name his store bob's bizarre bizarre uh bizarre b-a-z-a-a-r bizarre b-i-z-a-r-r-e so it was it was catchy a little alliteration uh, you know, a little alliteration and and, and 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 some catchiness, but uh, oh, Bob's bizarre, bizarre. Um, luckily, he didn't sell any of his crimes there, so don't worry, he didn't do that. <laughs> uh, he primarily sold, uh, like I said, the primitive art, jewelry, and antiques from those countries I mentioned earlier. Man, this fucking water is so good. Uh, You know, he was making a decent monthly profit. Nothing crazy. It was definitely not enough to, you know, keep him uh, and his daily expenses and make ends meet. So he would often end up selling goods to fellow merchants for financial loss. Or he would just steal or, you know, scavenge shit from other booths and make money that way. So, like I said, you're seeing more development. He's doing petty crimes. That's you. one of the small signs. It's not a huge one, but petty crimes is one of the signs of serial killers. Good God. Oh, water can't get much better than that, y'all. I'm 
telling you. Whew. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> um, then at the flea market, he would then become acquainted with a fellow merchant, an old fellow named Paul Howell. Paul would regret his fucking whole entire life after meeting this piece of shit. Fucking hell. God, I bet he wishes he could take this day back. Um, they operated boots beside each other, so, you know, they would just chop it up while, you know, the days were slow. And him and him and old Paul developed uh, you know, a quite the relationship and got, got really close. And then he met Paul's son, uh, Jerry. Uh, initially, Jerry and his friends, you know, kind of fucking were assholes towards old Robbie because they knew he was gay. It was back in the day. I mean, it wasn't back back in the day, but this was still a time when homosexuality was really shunned. Kids made a lot of jokes, talked a lot of shit about him. But then he... Uh, he later, you know, well, according to oh, Robbie, he uh, would develop a close relationship with Jerry Howell because uh, Jerry confided in him that he and his friends occasionally, oof, they occasionally did some things for money, sexual things. They were male prostitutes, okay? These kids did some some bad things. So, you know... I don't know if that's true. Maybe Robbie's just making that shit up to kind of, I don't know, justify what he's going to later do, but who knows. Um, uh, and then later on, uh, 1982, uh, uh, end of 1982, excuse me, Paul Howell relocated his business uh, and just left Westport. But, you know, Robbie didn't want to leave. He kind of developed a good business at that location he kind of had his reputation there so he didn't want to leave so uh you know that kind of hurt Robbie he was kind of sad kind of sad so his family also moved into the apartment above the shop that uh, uh excuse me Paul Howe's family uh moved above the building above the shop that he went to and despite his younger son occasionally engaging in heated arguments with uh, old Robbie, they would they would end up developing a relationship again, even though he moved shops. So Paul and Rob became friends again, and then Rob would kind of do what he used to do by loaning him money to kind of make Paul, you know, I don't know, dependent. And then he would also give legal and financial assistance uh, so for Jerry, because Jerry would have those little minor scrapes with the law. Um, nothing, nothing major, major. Uh, and then by the summer of 1984, Jerry finally ended up turning 19. He's all grown up. His body's developing, and. Old Robbie takes a little liking, so he's like, oh, man, whew, cool. And, yeah, not not good for, not good for Jerry. Not, not good for Jerry at all. 
Um, now we're going to get into the four worst years in Kansas City to many families and many cops. And it changed how cops hunt serial killers in Kansas City, you know. Uh, before that, I, I have to take a hit because we are going to get into six of the most oof, brutal murders you are about to witness or not witness but here shit gets bad guys strap the fuck in because this is actually the really long part too because like i said he documented shit really well guy was very detailed uh and he was very precise times dates the whole nine Gotta take a hit for this. Because it's bad. It's a bad one, guys. So. If. You're easily disgusted. Or terrified. Or uh, any of that. You might want to skip the next hour yeah about hour or so yeah it's gonna be about an hour of some rough rough shit so strap the fuck in gang here we go alright so oh Robbie is believed to have killed his first victim Jerry Howell uh, on July 5th, 1984, the day after Independence Day, which he celebrated with Paul, which is really fucked up. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Ooh. Ooh. That one got me. Um, ooh, where was I? <laughs> uh, as I said, Jerry Howell. He'd gotten really close. We, uh, you know, reacquainted with him. As I said, he confided in him. Uh, and he was undercover bisexual. So he kind of felt comfortable. Uh, he, he felt a little more comfortable around him. And, uh, you know, he just felt like he could relax a little more around uh, Robbie because he was gay and he understood him a little more. Uh, so what he ended up doing really fucked up. Jerry uh, wanted to go to a, a dance contest in Miriam and Robbie was like, yeah, all right, let's do this shit. Let's grow. So according to Robbie and his journal, he gave Howell a, uh, a little bit of alcohol with some volume and some aspermazine, which is a, it was a uh, painkiller and something else, but now it's just a sedative for dogs. So it, it knocks you out. It's pretty strong. And he, he did that both in his car and then he, when he, got him back to his house, he did it again, gave him another shot with some uh, some of the volume in the, the uh, dog tranks. Uh, 
and he gave it to him until the the Ohio passed out. After he kind of he didn't really pass out, pass out. He just kind of like dozed off a little bit. But when he dozed off, that's when ooh, got the burpees. That's when he ended up injecting him with the heavy tranquilizer that would just knock him the fuck out. And that's, man, that's where it gets bad for old Jerry. Damn. Poor kid, man. He uh, he then tied him to the bed. Once he was uh, tied to the bed, whew, man, it was bad. So for the next 28 hours throughout, you know, his captivity, Rob, fuck, man, he would repeatedly drug him, torture him, rape him, violate him with foreign objects, repeatedly ignored his uh, his questions of, you know, why, why am I being treated like this? I thought we were friends. You know, just please just stop. I, I won't tell anyone. Um, and then, uh, according to Rob in his journal, Jerry either asphyxiated on his own vomit or a combination of the gag and the medicines were too strong for him to be able to catch his breath. So he ended up basically just not being able to breathe. Uh, Rob would uh, later state that he briefly attempted to perform, you know, uh, mouth, uh, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, but... Um, it was just, you know, it was too, too, too late, and he just died, man. He succumbed to those whatever happened to him, and I think it was, you know, a lot of the torture. Probably, just, you know, kid probably couldn't take the torture, as most people probably fucking can't. You fucking piece of shit. God damn it. Uh, he then dragged his body into the basement. He then suspended. Howell's body above a large cooking pot and made several incisions uh, on the on Jerry's inner elbows, his jugular vein, before leaving his body suspended in the position overnight to allow his blood to drain from his corpse. The following day, he dismembered Howell's body using a chainsaw and boning knives before wrapping the sections in newspapers and trash bags. These bags were later placed inside larger trash bags, which Berdella Placed outside for garbage crews to collect and take to the landfill. Fuck, man. They were right there, man. Oh, man. Goddamn, dude's fucking ruthless, but also fucking ballsy. Um, He was then later, you know, questioned by cops because he knew Jerry. He knew him really well. He, he, he hung out with him. The teen told his daddy, knew like hung out with him. So of course, cops are gonna ask him, "Hey, what what happened?" And Rob completely, you know, said, "Yeah, I totally, yeah, I saw him that day for sure. I drove him up to Merriman so that he would uh, go to a dance contest, and then I left. And I told him, all right, good luck, and uh, hope you got a way home. And that's where he left it." Uh, he was, you know, he wasn't really questioned that hard. And 
he just said, yeah, I hadn't seen him since then. And that would be, that would be the case with all of his murders. He, he man, fuck. Yeah, man. The, the shit that he just wrote down, man, when I, I just, like, remember, like, you, you get to see some little, like, logs when you're researching this shit. Man. God damn. You know, he kept a detailed log, like I said, of all the acts of torture and sex that he did. So it's, phew, man. God damn. In the log, he, it said that Howard had repeatedly pleaded for his ongoing abuse and torture to cease throughout the period of his capture. Although Rob would either ignore these pleas, taunt his victim, or threaten him, he would remain adamant to investigators that this would not be for his enjoyment. But instead, he did it for what he termed physical and mental satisfaction. So he said that he didn't enjoy actually killing Jerry. He simply did it for his physical and mental satisfaction so he he's basically saying he's a fucking psychopath so he he had to do this nah bro you did that shit for your enjoyment because you're a sick piece of shit you're a sick piece of shit man that's all it is you are a sick piece of shit oh even though you can't hear me you're a sick piece of shit <laughs> um the next victim was a little under a year later. On April 10th, 1985, a former logger, uh, a former, excuse me, logger, a former lodger of uh, Rob's that stayed with him for like a, a, you know, back and forth, a 23-year-old named Robert Sheldon arrived at his doorstep asking if he could stay, you know, can I stay again for another short period of time? Fuck, this was the worst timing for this kid. Fuck, man. Uh, according to Rob, once again, although short, uh, Sheldon was responsible in paying rent, he considered him uh, an inconvenience. And although he was not physically attracted to his victim, he uh, chose to drug him and hold him captive on April 12th. Um, when he returned home from work, Sheldon was intoxicated in his home. And Rob was adamant he held no firm malice towards Sheldon, but saw him as an individual upon whom he could express some of the anger and frustration that he felt toward other people on. Man, that's fucked up. He just wanted to just take out anger and frustration, and Sheldon just, he was there. Uh, Sheldon was drugged with the sedatives and held captive in the second floor bedroom for three days enduring forms of torture such as swabbing of drain cleaner in his left eye, the insertion of needles beneath his fingertips, the binding of, uh, the bindings of his wrist with piano wire with the, uh, with the intention of permanently damaging his nerves in his hand, filling his ears with caulking, what the fuck, with caulking gel to reduce his hearing capacity. Jesus fucking Christ, man. <sighs> Why? Fuck, man. Uh, 
so sick. Uh, three days after uh, O'Robbie had begun holding Sheldon, on April 15th, a workman came to perform some scheduled work that Brodella fucking forgot about uh, on his roof, and that would lead uh, that would lead him to he he couldn't risk Sheldon making noise and <clears throat> you know getting him caught. So this was one of the first times that uh, he would just straight up kill him. And he placed a bag, uh, a bag over his head, and suffocated Sheldon, and killed him. Right there, he uh, then later dissected Sheldon's body in a third floor bathroom, and he he kind of enjoyed this one a little more, as he was taking out that anger and frustration. So he, this was a little more enjoyable. But still not that enjoyable. He wasn't at that stage yet. Um, <clears throat> the following June, Rob would uh, find Mark Wallace, whom he he kind of knew a little bit because uh, Mark had helped him on a little yard work. So he kind of knew him a little bit. Nothing you know major. Mark didn't know him like like that. But he knew him well enough to uh, want to come back. Um, uh, he found Mark in his tool shed, just hiding, trying to you know hide away from this big uh, thunderstorm. It was a little colder, thunderstorm going. So he just was trying to seek shelter, and unfortunately, he sought shelter in the worst possible place ever, in Rob's fucking shed. Uh, you know, so Rob sees this and he's like, oh, why don't you just come in, uh, come into my house and you can just stay here. And he would, you know, Mark wasn't so sure about it. He was like, I don't know, man. All right. All right. Uh, let's go. But he also was going through, you know, some depression. So he, hard time, depression. He's going through cold, he's homeless. So Rob was like, yeah, I got something that can help take the edge off. So he volunteered to inject him with uh, some medicine to, uh, as he says, quote, calm down and relax him. This was not to calm down and relax him at all, but to really fuck him up. Uh, Mark was like, all right, man, I trust you. I've, you know, I kind of know you and let his guard down he willingly accepted it and then 30 minutes after injecting him fuck man he tied him up and he held him captive oh man fuck he then carried him up to the second floor where he endured almost a day of captivity and torture including the application of alligator clips to his nipples to facilitate electrical shocks to his body at any point at which Wallace began regressing into a state of unconsciousness. Man, keeping him awake, making sure he feels the torture. Uh, according to Rob's journal, one hour after <clears throat> his experimenting with hypodermic needles by inserting them into various muscles 
upon the victim's back, Mark Wallace died through a combination of the drugs, the gag, and the lack of oxygen. He noted his victim's time of death as 7 p.m. on June 23rd. So, like I said, kept meticulous notes on everything. Um, okay. So, I know what you guys are probably thinking. All right. <sighs> yeah. You know what? I, this can't get much worse. This guy's pretty fucking evil. I mean, he's torturing people already. But it was after his third victim, Mark Wallace, is this is when he finally made the flip. He decided at this moment, I want to really... I'm I'm enjoying this. I really want to start really enjoying this by getting into some experimental things and start getting really brutal. So only a few months later on September 26th, 1985, Rob answered a phone call from an acquaintance named James Ferris who asked him, hey, can I stay at your house for a little while? Of course, Rob said, yeah. He accepted with the, he knew right then when he accepted, he had the intention, I'm going to fucking kidnap him and I'm going to do some evil shit. This was the guy that was like, yes, he was like, fuck yeah, I got my first one that I'm going to do this. Um, So he arranged, he was like, all right, let's meet at a bar. Um, You know, despite the brutality which he subjected the first uh, three people to Rob would claim that Ferris was the first victim that you know he would intentionally inflicted severe torture to so this is the first guy that he like I said turns brutal um, he also informed investigators of this that there were occasions during the final three victims periods of captivity when he ceased making additions to his abuse logs because he assumed the victim would not be able to take it or would not be able to make it much longer. So he did leave some stuff out that he did, but not a lot because you're going to see that he fucking still let you know he did a lot of fucked up shit. Uh, Rob brought Ferris home after the bar. He uh, drugged him with some crushed up tranquilizers and, uh, you know, that he put into the food that he gave him. Then he tied him to his bed before torturing him almost constantly for about 27 hours, according to his log. Uh, the torture included repeated uh, shocks, uh, shockings uh, of 7,700 7, volts to his shoulders and his testicles for up to five minutes in each instance. The uh, acupuncture via hypodermic needles to his neck and genitals. Ferris gradually became delirious, but Rob continued his physical and sexual assaults until he noted in his log that Ferris was unable to sit up more than 10 to 15 seconds. The next entry read, quote, very delayed breathing. And finally, Rob noted that Ferris died with the slang term he used in his uh, career as a chef, 86, which Rob later explained meant anything from throw it out or, you know, stop the project. 
fucking sick piece of shit. Oh my gosh. Uh, his next victim, Todd Stoops, was a drug addict and sometimes he was a prostitute alongside his wife. Uh, and he also, they both had, you know, twice lived at Rob's house in 1984. So once again, somebody that knew him kind of trusted him and, you know, let his guard down. Uh, after Stoops and his wife moved out of uh, Rob's house for the second time, Rob did not see him again for a while until a chance encounter at a park uh, on June 17, 1986. Rob invited him to his house with, uh, you know, just the offer of lunch, and then he added incentive of sex as uh, incentive of sex. As Stoop stated, he needed 13 bucks to purchase some dope. I know, 13 bucks, you're like, what the fuck? It was about $30, so I imagine he was probably just getting something, something light and quick. Um, Rob would later stress to investigators he had been extremely uh, physically attracted to Stoops. This was one guy he really, really liked, was like, I really want this guy. And this victim was held captive for Two weeks. Fuck, man. Can you imagine that shit, dude? Two weeks? Fuck. Two weeks before he died. With him gradually increasing his, you know, you know, captive's terror to make him cooperative and just a completely incapacitated sex slave. Uh, once again, he used those good old electrical shocks. Uh... But this time he did it to, you know, Stoops' closed eyes in the attempt to just blind him. That didn't work. So, you know, he was like, all right, let's try something else. So then he started injecting drain cleaner into his larynx to try to, you know, silence his screaming because the shocking obviously is going to make a man scream. Fuck you. Jesus, man, what the fuck do you think this guy's I'm going to stay silent while you just shock my fucking eyelids with 7,700 volts? Jesus fucking Christ, man, you fucking piece of shit. Uh, during the second week of his capture, Stoop asked Rob for a soft drink and a sandwich. When Rob uh, refused, Stoops burst into tears, and Rob did not like that he didn't like he didn't want he he, he doesn't like the to them trying to play the sympathy card he really got pissed uh so the next day on june 27th he ruptured stoops anal wall with his fist causing bleeding and discharge towards the end of stoops captivity he tried to feed his captive ice cream and soup those you know just trying to kind of make up because he, he did like Stoops a little bit. He just didn't want him to beg. Uh, and although Stoops wasn't able to keep anything down, you know, he just, you know, kept on trying to feed him the soup and ice cream, trying to make him feel better. You felt bad. You should feel bad. You fucking just, you ripped his fucking anal wall, dude. Like, what the fuck? You... Jesus. Fucking asshole, man. Uh, by the final day of his captivity, Stoop was so weak that Rob later stated in his journal he was unable to breathe 
in a sitting position. Like, I don't even, like how, so fucked up. And then on July 1st, 1986, Stoops died. A forensic pathologist later testified that the ruptured anal wall caused septic shock, which proved fatal. Jesus. Man. Oh. I got to take another hit after that one. (laughs) Fuck, man. That is so brutal. So brutal. I forgot I got a little snack in here. Yeah, a little snacky wacky. Excuse me, guys. The munchies are kicking in. (laughs) Oh, man. Fuck. I don't know how. Why am I eating while talking about this? How the fuck? This is how you know you've been fucking damaged by this shit. I'm immune to it now. I can fucking eat while talking about this sick shit. Jesus. It's getting bad, Eugene. (laughs) Getting bad. Oh, man. Oh. This man. God. If reincarnation exists, I hope he was reincarnated as... What what's the what lives the worst life? <laughs> That's what I want him to live. Cause Bet, I hope he gets it for like his next six lifetimes. For the six lives. Cause fuck, man. This dude fucking sucks. Man, I gotta kinda pee. But I'ma tough this shit out. Cause I'm a G. Anyways. Alright. So. This next one. This was the worst one. I think. Because. It's so fucked because the length that you know that he went to survive and the length of his captivity so this one just was like fucking christ so in the spring of 1987 Bedella became friendly with a 20 year old named larry wayne pearson this casual friendship began when pearson entered excuse me entered his shop and explained to rob that as a child he had held an interest in both witchcraft and wizardry shortly thereafter pearson temporarily lodged with uh old rob and willingly performed chores around the house as means to pay rent and rob you know that was an easy way for him to pay rent and he was like you know what i'll let you stay for a little while but then According to Rob, he did not initially intend to capture this individual, but formed a plan to do so on June 23rd, when, having a bald, uh, having bailed uh, Piercing out of jail, the young man began jokingly referring to his practice of robbing gay men in Wichita. That evening, 
Rob insured. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Getting a little choked up. Get some water. Uh, Rob insured. Uh, Pearson became intoxicated before injecting him with the animal tranquilizer again and then moving him down to the basement. Uh, this is where he bound Pearson's hands above his head and then linked the rope he had used for uh, the purpose uh, uh, excuse me linked the rope he had used for this purpose to a brick column before injecting Pearson's larynx with drain cleaner again to try to make sure he didn't scream. He then brought that electrical transformer down into the basement uh, so that he can do the uh, clips again. Uh, according to Rob, Pearson was by far the most cooperative of the six victims. On the fifth day of his captivity, having by this stage endured tortured such as the repeated administration of electrical, electrical shocks, with the transformer, of course, the uh, the breaking of several hand bones with an iron rod to render him submissive. Uh, then he, uh, oh, Rob deduced Pearson had earned the trust. So as he continued cooperation, his sexual and physical abuse, he just you know laid off of him a little less, or a little more and more, as he cooperated with both. Uh, as a form of reward. Pearson was moved to the second floor with Bradella's uh, first informing Pearson's that if he continued to cooperate, he would not continue to inflict as much pain upon him as he had done so while, you know, he had been held in the basement. So he was like, just cooperate. I won't hurt you. That's all you got to do. Well, I won't hurt you as bad. He still was going to hurt him, but he was not going to hurt him as bad. Uh, throughout the latter part of his six weeks of captivity, yeah, I said that, six weeks, uh, Pearson trained himself to sleep without moving in order that he would not, you know, antagonize or piss off Rob and thus invite further torture or uh, being returned to the basement. After six weeks of captivity, in an act of despair, Pearson's got uh, he got brave. He while performing fellatio he bit deeply into Robbie's old penis and arr, took a bite of that motherfucker uh, performing, uh, before screaming he did not continue to tolerate being treated in this manner unfortunately he didn't bite hard enough cause he should have bit that motherfucker fucking off and that would have probably stopped him Fuck, he should have just bit that motherfucker off. So, in response, of course, Rob pissed off, killed Pearson by first bludgeoning him into unconsciousness with a tree limb, then suffocating him with a bag and ligature before driving him to the hospital to, to receive treatment for his dick bite. <laughs> he was like, yo... This nigga was sucking my dick and he bit my dick. <laughs> Please help me. <laughs> yeah, you fucking deserve it. I hope your shit was deformed, you motherfucker. Uh, Pearson's body was later dismembered in the basement and his head initially stored in a plastic bag and saw inside uh, Rob's freezer. Uh, for later, just admiration is what he said. 
before being buried in the backyard. Piece of shit. Uh, okay, guys. We finally get to the one that got away. Oof. Um, yeah, this was, this is the one that got away, but that's not before he endured days of torture. He had to, he had to, you know, kind of do what my man did before, but he got away, luckily. Uh, on March 29th, 1988, Rob abducted his final victim, a 22 year old, uh, prostitute named Christopher Bryson. Uh, he lured to his house, of course, with the promise to pay for sex. Of course, you know, prostitutes are are very, very common victims of serial killers because they willingly go along with them. It's a part of their job. At Rob's home, Bryson was knocked unconscious with an iron bar, then bound to Rob's bed, where he was subjected to similar methods of abuse and torture endured to previous victims, Although in Bryson's case, uh, Bradella repeatedly swabbed his eyes with ammonia before exclaiming to him, quote, the only things you need to think are, the, the only things you need to think about are you, me, and this house. Man. Dude, that is fucked up. Imagine that shit, motherfucker, just, oh my God, you just wake up to a motherfucker saying the only things you need to think about are you, me, and this house. That is fucked up. Holy shit. So fucked up. Um, whew. Excuse me. Um, after several days, uh, Bradella exclaimed that Bryson... Uh, to Bryson, he had begun to trust him again. You know, he started to trust his captive again. I'm glad that this was a weak point for him, that he just would trust guys, <laughs> even though he just got his dick bit. <laughs> and, you know, although he was willing to discuss aspects of that, uh, you know, the abuse and torture he was receiving, there would be no negotiations pertaining to his sexual abuse. Yeah. He wasn't negotiating that. Uh, Rob finished his uh, discussion with a stern warning every time. Quote, I've gotten this far. <clears throat> I've gotten this far with other people before, and they're dead now because of the, stake, the, the mistakes they made. Damn. Bryson wouldn't make those mistakes, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, by the third day of his capture, Bryson... Had uh, had earned the uh, sufficient trust to, you know, kind of persuade old Robbie to establish a daily, you know, little regime for him of tying his hands in front of him. So, you know, he was like, hey, man, just let me put my hands in front of me. And then he would just, he'd only do it after his sexual abuse rather than above his head and uh, to the bed upon the excuse that, Rob was doing so was restricting the circulation to his arms. So Rob was like, all right, I trust you, man. I believe you. I'll just, you know, tie him in front of you. 
he had also persuaded Rob to leave the television. Uh, why did I just, why did I just say that? I literally have TV, <laughs> like, written down, and I said the television. <laughs> I don't know why I just did that. That was weird. <laughs> uh, uh, leave the uh, television <laughs> on within the room. Uh, with uh, the remote control placed between his legs whenever Rob was out of the room. However, he would later state to investigators that he thought almost constantly about escaping. The following day, he managed to break free of his restraints by burning through them. <laughs> wow. By burning through them using a book of matches, old Rob had it inadvertently left in the room and within his reach when he had left the house to go uh, go to his place of work. Bryson then managed to escape from the house by fucking jumping from the second floor window like a fucking G, wearing nothing but a fucking dog collar around his neck, breaking his bone in his fucking foot in the whole process, said, fuck it, I am getting out of this bitch. He then ran towards a fucking meter reader and just screaming, just help me, motherfucker, Help! Shout him to the individual. Hey, call the police right now. This individual led Bryson to the house he had been approaching, whereupon the occupants promptly called the police, who arrived minutes later. Questioned at the scene by four officers, Bryson's ugh, Bryson initially claimed he had been hitchhiking, then abducted by Rob who had kidnapped, raped, and tortured him for four days before he escaped by jumping from the window on the second floor of his property. Furthermore, this individual had kept him bound to a bed on the second floor of the house throughout the house, or throughout much of the time he had been held against his will, repeatedly sodomizing him, drugging him, and injecting his throat with drain cleaner to diminish his ability to speak loudly. Man, I'm surprised he could fucking talk. As Bryson spoke, the officers noted that the addition of the dog collar and broken foot Bryson had, and uh, Bryson had red and swollen eyes and visible scars and welts across his entire body. Two officers, <gasps> excuse me, two officers were told to maintain a discreet surveillance of the property as Bryson was driven to the <gasps> hospital, accompanied by the third officer. Oh, Those goddamn hiccups. <gasps> Excuse me, guys. Gotta get the uh, burp out. There we go. I think it's gone. Uh, accompanied by the third officer for treatment, as the fourth officer radioed the Kansas City Police to request a formal search warrant of the property be drafted. Later, questioned in a greater detail at the uh, Kansas City Police Department, Bryson said he had been held against his will by occupant of 4315 Charlotte Street, who had subjected him to four days of repeated sexual abuse, humiliation, and torture. Bryson also told police that his captor had shown him Polaroid images of men who appeared to be deceased, with the explanation that these had been previous individuals he had unsuccessfully attempted to collect as sexual slaves. Furthermore, his captor had informed Bryson he had no intention of ever allowing him to leave his property, and that he had claimed to have killed previous individuals he had captured and treated in this manner. 
and that if Bryson became any kind of nuisance or threat to him, he would either be subjected to greater levels, greater levels of torture than what he had been already enduring or simply killed. Finally, the terror that the KC motherfucking city, Kansas City, had endured for four years was coming to an end, ladies and gentlemen. We about to take down old bitch-ass motherfucker Bodella. So, on the afternoon of Bryson's escape, old Robbie was uh, arrested on charges pertaining to the sexual assault of Christopher Bryson. That's all he was arrested on initially because that's all they could get him on initially. Calm down, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> he couldn't exactly clean up the house. <laughs> uh, he uh, he then declined to allow officers inside his house. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> he declined officers uh, inside his home and the search warrant earlier requested was drafted to search his property. Corroborating Bryson's claims to having been restrained and tortured in the second floor bedroom, investigators discovered the bedroom on the second floor was found to have burnt ropes attached to the posts of the bed. Also in the room was an electrical transformer plugged into the wall and where uh, and with wires leading to the bed. A metal tray containing syringes, small bottles, apparently containing prescription drugs, swabs, and eye drops were also close to the bed. This dumb motherfucker didn't try to clean up shit. Uh, also found in the room were a long iron pipe, various lengths of uh, rope, the leather belts. Investigators also noted that posts on the bed had been extensively worn, suggesting that the restraints had earlier been tied to these posts and that the individual or individuals had struggled to be free, uh, to free themselves. Uh, searching elsewhere in the house, investigators uncovered a human skull inside a closet on the second floor of the property and partially, a, uh, and a partially decomposed, uh, human head in the backyard. The search also uncovered several human vertebrae scarred also, uh, scarred by both back uh, hacksaw and knife marks stowed in the hallway, and several human teeth stowed in two envelopes. Both a hacksaw and miter saw were discovered in the basement of the property, and a chainsaw also uh, was found to be soiled with bloodstains, flesh, and pubic hairs. Luminol, uh, luminol tests revealed the floor of Rob's basement and two plastic trash barrels were extensively bloodshed, uh, bloodstained. Uh, luminol is that spray stuff you see in the CSI and all that shit that shows the blood. Uh, a total of 334 Polaroid pictures and 34 snapshot prints of various male individuals were also found stowed in various locations within Rob's house. These pictures uh, showed Christopher Bryson and several other men, both in life and death. And many of the images had been taken as subjects had been tortured. The search also uncovered numerous restraints and sexual devices, pornographic literature, hypodermic needles, a book on narcotics, uh, a book on narcotics, 
and also atop a chest of drawers in one of the bedrooms, officers discovered a uh, stenographer's pad containing the detailed tortures, uh, torturer's logs he had maintained for each victim. Whew. Talk about a nail in the fucking coffin. Uh, several newspaper clippings from the Kansas City Star regarding the missing young men named Jerry Howell and both a wallet and driver's license belonging to a missing person named James Ferris was discovered in the closet of the second floor of the property. You are fucked. <laughs> Bitch. Um, on July 22nd, 1988, a grand jury formally indicted Rob on the murder of Larry Wayne Pearson. Just on Larry Wayne. Don't worry. Don't worry, guys. This That was just his one. That was one. That was one charge. Uh, the following month, the following month, he was arraigned and pleaded guilty in the fourth. Uh, the fourth. Ugh, Jesus. Cotton mouth is getting me and being stoned is getting me. <laughs> uh, he pleaded guilty in the fourth uh, circuit of the Jackson County Court before Judge Alvin Randolph to first-degree murder of Larry Pearson. Ooh, that's so refreshing. Uh, the plea was entered following a late morning process in the arraignment hearing into the uh, particular murder. Uh, so it was just a clean cut, boom, boom. Uh, as a surprise to both the judge and the pr prosecuting attorneys, he took the plea. So they weren't expecting it. Uh, but thank God he did. Made it a little easier. Uh, following, uh, following the submission and acceptance of this plea, the judge insisted that Rob confess under oath as to Pearson's death. In response to questioning by his attorneys, Rob stated, I placed, oh, I placed a plastic bag over his head and tied it, to, tied it with a rope and allowed him to suffocate. When asked if he performed this act deliberately and with malice, uh, Rob simply stated, yes. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole upon being sentenced. Rob was transferred to the Missouri State Penitentiary to commence his life sentence. He would later be temporarily placed in protective custody at the Potosi Correctional Facility due to concerns for his safety. Man, that's bad. Motherfuckers are like, yo, this nigga is sick. Get this motherfucker out of here. Uh, a second guilty plea submitted before the Jackson County Court on August 24th, earned Berdella a further life term without parole for one charge of forcible sodomy against Christopher Bryson, six counts of sodomy, and one charge of assault was, uh, was dropped as a part of the plea bargain. Damn. I didn't know you could get life without parole for just one charge of forms. Oh, man. I like that. Fuck him. <laughs> but he was already fucked. Um, he would also receive further uh, term for seven years pertaining to one count of felonious restraint uh, against Bryson on this date. Uh, damn it. I guess you can't always get what you want. Unfortunately, 
he would not last long in prison. Damn it. And in 1992, Rob contacted the counselor whom he had met when he first was incarcerated, Reverend Roger Coleman. He, infirm, uh, he informed Coleman of his distress due to staff uh, at the you know, at the prison withholding his heart medication. Yeah, fuck you. At 2 p.m. on October 8th, 1992, Rob complained to the prison staff of heart pains and was taken from his cell to the prison infirmary. Medical staff determined his heart was unstable and called an ambulance. Uh, Rob was then taken to a hospital in Columbia, Missouri, where he was pronounced dead from a heart attack just like daddy. At 3.55 p.m., he was 43 years old. He made it four more years than Pops, so, you know, he did a little better. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, dude. Uh, shortly after the judge at his trial, Alvin Randall, was informed of Rob's death. In, resp <laughs> in response, he sarcastically remarked, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, according to published reports, although Rob suffered from depressive uh, personality disorder, he was also diagnosed with uh, sexual sadist and who gained extreme set, uh, sexual, uh, ex, uh, sexual satisfaction from the humiliation, pain, and torture to which he had subjected his victims. Moreover, despite his claims to media individuals whom had, he had contacted in the years of his incarceration, he never expressed a degree of remorse for his actions. And tersely uh, referred to his victims as play toys in an interview he granted shortly before his death. <sighs> yeah, that's not much remorse, bro. Play toys, motherfucker, these... Sick piece of shit. Ah, uh, fuck, man. This guy's such a fucking asshole. Oh, all right, guys. Uh, that that concludes the biography of Satan. Uh, now you know he will torture you when you go to hell, you rotten motherfuckers. <laughs> this nigga's gonna be down there with those fucking electrical clips zapping your titties and fucking putting hypodermic needles in your dick. Injecting your fucking larynx with fucking Drano. Jesus. Whew. Fucking piece of shit. But yeah, that is the sick, twisted life and death of one of America's most sadistic and brutal serial killers, guys. There you have it. Robert Berdella. And I'm sure most of y'all probably never heard of this guy. Uh... I briefly heard a little bit about him uh, on a podcast, and I was like, oh, I got to research this dude. And fuck, man, the more you know. Man, we, we've we've had some fucked up ones here in the U.S. It's, it's, it's rough, rough. Uh, but I'm glad he's dead, and I hope the four years he was locked up were the worst four years a man could ever experience. And I'm glad that, you know, prison staff said, fuck your heart meds, motherfucker. <laughs> and let that motherfucker suffer. Because, yeah, fuck that piece of shit, man. He's fucking, 
Like I said, fuck you with a spiked AIDS dick, bro. Like, that's what I wish upon you daily. Uh, I'm now going to go off and um, enjoy some nightmares since I am recording this late night. (laughs) And uh, I hope you all listen to this, you know, at night as well and enjoy the nightmares with me. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be lonely with these nightmares. Uh, tune in Monday when we head back to Mother Russia for uh, the Mikhail Popkov story, the uh, the old Russian police officer slash serial killer piece of shit. And uh, like I said, guys, over and over, can't thank you enough for tuning in into another you know session of Killer October. We're gonna have a lot more of them. We're gonna get a lot sicker. Uh, concluding with what I think to be one of the sickest and to make sure you don't miss you know any of these brutal crazy fucking stories in the world's scariest most sadistic serial killers make sure you follow make sure you subscribe and make sure you stay up to date on these motherfucking episodes uh, also tune in as I'm back with my boy Fritz for, uh, for another smoke sports sessions as we go over the end of the NBA playoffs, uh, some NBA updates as we, um, you know, have been away from you guys for a little while. So we'll go over some of the things that you've missed. And unfortunately my boy Scalini has some scheduling conflicts due to busy days at work and him being a dad. So, you know, I'm going to have to do the football updates solo. But don't worry. I know you guys love my sexy boss. (laughs) So, yeah, guys. uh, Yeah. Thank you again. Keep tuning in. Don't miss any of these. I'm telling you. They're going to get crazier. (laughs) But, yeah, this was one of the craziest so far for sure. But, uh, yeah, guys, until next time, Tokers, I'm out. Hey, guys, I'd like to uh, also give a nice little shout out. Make sure you guys go check out my good friends at Last Call Nation. Uh, Last Call Nation's a great merchandise brand and lifestyle brand that just promotes living the good life and also just living life to the fullest. Uh, make sure you go visit them at lastcallnation.com. Also follow them on Instagram at lastcallnation and check them out on Facebook as well. Make sure you like their page and make sure you purchase some of that merch. It's some pretty cool, cool stuff on there too. Uh, I, uh, just ordered one of my shirts, so I should be getting that soon. And, uh, Yeah, I'll definitely be uh, plugging them every single time, guys, because, like I said, amazing merch. Uh, Also, remember to make sure you share their page with your friends so that, you know, they can also live life to the fullest. And just remember, life is too short, so grab every good time you can because you never know when it's going to be your last call.